Okay, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I guess it's inappropriate to speak of whether or not Russia is going to invade Ukraine because that's exactly what they've done. They've invaded. However, at Joel Rosenberg's website at allisrael.com, there is such an important article. The 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 article uh, title is Putin's real goal isn't Ukraine, but to make the world scared, break NATO, and make himself the most powerful actor on the planet. Joel is literally quoting from the defense minister of the Ukraine. Now, some people might say, well, what does he know? Well, I'm going to suggest to you that uh, that he knows a lot. He says, not only do they want to make the world scared, their goal is not Ukraine. The goal is to break the unity of NATO and the EU countries, the recognition of Russia as the dominant actor. He said on an interview in Russian, he said, they said, and I don't know Russian by any stretch of the imagination. They said, guys, you've accepted 14 countries into NATO since 1991. He said, please be so kind as to kick them out because we believe that the Russian empire is the Baltic States, Poland, part of Finland, Slovakia, the Czech Republic. That is, they announced their appetite in public speeches, unquote. And so, again, if you want to join me on the program, it's Tough Question Tuesday, 303-873-1935. With your questions about the Bible, God, Jesus, happy to take your calls. But I want to talk more about this article that Joel Rosenberg has posted at All Israel News, because I think it's so important. Joel Rosenberg said, yesterday I talked to Ben Wallace, the Minister of Defense of Great Britain, Reznikoff explained. He said, I said to them, you've been in politics a long time. Tell me, could it be that NATO countries promised something to Russia that we all don't know about and the Russians remember and resent you? He replied that he had checked all possible sources, but nowhere was such a thing written down. Nobody knows who made them any promise, but now the Russians live in the certainty that they've been promised but deceived. He says, at the same time, they quite successfully forget about concrete things. The signed interstate document on security guarantees in connection with Ukraine's ascension to the Treaty of the Nonproliferation of Nuclear Weapons, the Budapest Memorandum. For those of you who have no idea what what he's talking about, What had happened was when the Ukraine broke away from Russia with the collapse of the former Soviet Union, they entered into a treaty of the nonproliferation of nuclear weapons, the Budapest Memorandum, for Ukraine to divest itself of nuclear capability. So what you have to understand in part is that Putin sees his neighbors – in two different ways. They're either vassals or enemies. They are people, they they are a nation that will cooperate and serve and submit to Russia, or they won't serve and submit to Russia. Now, in, in Putin's way of thinking, if you are Great Britain, if you are France, if you are 
even Israel. <laughs> and you have nuclear capability. Then that's going to be a powerful player. And you have to be very, very careful. The Russian defense minister in this interview said that the, the defense minister was asked if this crisis is the making not of the Russian people, but of one particular Russian, he said, namely Putin. He said, no, not one particular Russian, Reznikov replied. He said, quote, the president of Russia is not one person. He has a group of individuals around him. Read the publications of his ideologists. Listen to the speeches of representatives of different departments. Their rhetoric is very much the same in many things. There are things where they act according to the political vertical, and there is a conditional freedom of maneuver. It's a vision. It's a philosophy. It's an ideology. But they believe it. The defense minister said, quote, look at the performances of some TV presenters who have manifestations of mental illness, right down to foaming from their mouths, he added. This is the dominant faction that runs Russia today. This is political power. And so, again, I can't stress enough. If you get a chance, go to All Israel News, read Joel, uh, Joel Rosenberg's blog on this subject. I think that you're going to find it very, very interesting. 303-873-1935. That's my number. If you want to join me on the program, it's easy to do. You just pick up that phone. You dial that number, 303 303- 873-1935. And of course, Friendly Jim will pick up the phone. He'll ask you what your question is, and we'll make every effort to get your question on the program. 303-873-1935. Having said that, again, at ChristianHeadlines.com, ChristianHeadlines.com, there is this title, A Powerful Prayer for the Ukraine. It says, quote, as the eyes of the world turn towards Ukraine and the Russian aggression at the border, the first and best thing that we can do is pray. And this is the prayer that they have posted at ChristianHeadlines.com. We thank you, Lord, in every situation, every dark moment. You are active and working among us, even when things seem at their bleakest. We trust your sovereignty and strength. In John sixteen thirty three, you said, in this world, you'll have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. We embrace the fact that the world and the troubles we face in it have been overcome. And the rest and rest in the knowledge that you have the power to move in every situation. It says as we, the prayer goes on and says, as we watch war unfold in Ukraine, we ask for grace and peace to rule in the hearts and minds of those who are involved. The prayer goes on and says, God, we fervently pray for the people of Ukraine. The situation they now face is not a new one. The name Ukraine translates borderland. 
And this nation has been viewed for centuries as just that, a borderland waiting to be conquered. This nation and its people have seen struggles with Russia for a century. And over 13,000 people have already died in this small-scale war that's been raging in the southwestern area of the Ukraine since 2014. So again, our hearts and our prayers go with them. And by the way, that's something that isn't widely reported in the news, that the aggression and difficulties began in 2014. The separatists have been waging an unending war, if you will, in that eastern border. And as of today, the Russian government allegedly has recognized their sovereignty and their willingness to go in. But it is a pretext. They were always planning to do this. This is not something that just sort of happened accidentally. 303-873-1935. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. The number is 303-873-1935. So many great resources. If you're wondering where to go to get great information, again, I want to encourage you to go to All Israel News with Joel Rosenberg and his um, blog on what's happening with Ukraine. And of course, my friend and uh, special guest who's been on so many times, and we hope to have him on in the not too distant future, uh, Dr. Jim Dennison from the Dennison Forum on Truth and Culture. And of course, we make frequent um, appeals, if you will, to his column at uh, the Denison Forum on Truth and Culture, and of course, a regular contributor to Christian Headlines. And he basically has this headline, is Ukraine on the brink of war? So I think the uh, invasion issue has, that ship has sailed. But Dr. Jim Denison um, puts it in great perspective. He says that President Vladimir Putin recognized the independence of two separatist regions in eastern Ukraine yesterday. In a speech, he claimed, quote, Ukraine has never had traditions of its own statehood, uh, calling the eastern part of the country ancient Russian lands. Now, you know what's interesting to me about that statement? Can you imagine, can you imagine, Jim, in 1812, Remember, we declared our independence in 1776. In 1812, Britain once again initiated a war to recover the colonies, if you will. So let's do the math a little bit. From, you know, we have a constitution in 89, and then in 99, and then 09, uh, since the collapse of the former Soviet Union, it's been about 30 years. Can you imagine in the first 30 plus years of the life of America and said, hey, you know, the United States, they, they're they England and they've always been a part of England. You know, they had this little revolution and this uprising and they declared their independence. But we are going to put them back where they belong as sovereign subjects 
of the King of England. Well, when Putin refers to Ukraine as sovereign ancient Russian lands, again, he is telling the world that he believes that Ukraine is a part of Russia and has always been a part of Russia. So he orders the Russian army to launch what Moscow's calling a peacekeeping oper- uh, operation, which is fraud. The BBC reports this morning that footage overnight appeared to show Russian military vehicles heading for the Ukrainian border. The United Nations Security Council held an emergency meeting last night, which, with, which Western countries condemned Russia's actions as a break with international law and an implicit attack against the territorial integrity of every UN member state. Leaders from France, the European Union, the European Commission, the United Nations, NATO, Lithuania, they've condemned Russia's move. And the United States President Joe Biden signed an executive order to halt U.S. business activity in the breakaway regions, not with all of them. European Union members are meeting today to decide what sanctions to impose. And so there is going to be a long laundry list of the sanctions as they begin to unfold. And so, again, Jim Dennison at ChristianHeadlines.com and also at the Dennison Forum on Truth and Culture gives us a sneak peek. He says, and I quote, is this a start of conflicts to come? He said, I found two articles on the escalating crisis in Ukraine to be very informative. In the first, New York Times columnist David Lennart writes, quote, a Russian invasion of Ukraine would look like the kind of war that has been largely absent in the past 80 years, and that was once common. It would involve a powerful nation setting out to expand its regional dominance by taking over its neighbor, unquote. He adds that such a voluntary war of aggression would signal that Putin believes the U.S., the European Union, and their allies have become too weak to exact painful consequences in response. And he says, so like Russia, and I think this is true, he says, like Russia, the leaders of China, Iran, and Venezuela are also autocrats. According to Leonhardt, they are watching the Western response to Russia. He says, quote, if the world is entering an era in which countries, again, make decisions based above all on what their military power allows them to do, it would be a big change, unquote. And make no mistake about it. The authoritarian, totalitarian regime of China is watching. And they're wondering, I wonder what would happen if we just sort of all of a sudden took over Taiwan. In addition, Leonhardt notes, quote, a Russian takeover of the Ukraine would be an autocracy taking over a democracy by force. Now, again, we could ask and answer that question. I think the strongest argument that might be made is, is Russia an autocracy? Yeah. Is Ukraine a democracy? In name, 
tradition, the way they actually conduct themselves. Putin and his inner circle believe that Western democracies are in decline, polarized by cultural conflicts and led by weakened political parties and leaders. By the way, is he wrong? Are Western democracies in decline? Are they polarized by cultural conflicts? Are they led by weakened political parties and leaders? Jim Dennison writes, consequently, this could well be the start of similar an escalating aggression to come. He says, a second article I want to discuss is, by the way, one that I've also read by Yuval Noah Harari. He is um, an Israeli um, scholar. I think I think maybe the best way to describe Yuval Noah Harari is a public intellectual. But writing for The Economist in, in an excellent article, he says, quote, at the heart of the Ukraine crisis lies a fundamental question about the nature of history and the nature of humanity. Is change possible? Can humans change the way they behave? Or does history repeat itself endlessly with humans forever condemned to reenact past tragedies without changing anything except the decor, unquote? He describes two options. One is a school of thought that, quote, firmly denies the possibility of change, unquote, and, quote, argues that the world is a jungle, that the strong prey upon the weak, and that the only thing preventing one country from wolfing down another is military force, unquote. His second option is the belief, to which he subscribes, by the way, that, quote, war isn't a fundamental force of nature. Its intensity and existence depend on underlying technological, economic, and cultural factors. As these factors change, so does war. And then he points out evidence for that second position. He says in the last seven decades, there's been no direct war between superpowers. With the result in the first two decades of the 21st century, human violence has killed fewer people than suicide, car accidents, obesity, gunpowder has become less lethal than sugar. But is all that about to change? This is Gina Geraci. 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci inviting you to call 303-873-1935. I was making reference to uh, the Denison Forum and, again, um, Dr. Jim Denison, who's posted both at Christian Headlines and at the Denison Forum. He was quoting from an article that a, an Israeli intellectual um, posted and at The Economist. And his name is Yuval Noah Harari. And um, he talked about the two options, you know, firmly deny the possibility of change. He talked about uh, another option that 
we can do some, something differently. According to Harari, he said it, in his article at The Economist, quote, the decline in war didn't result from a divine miracle or from a change in the laws of nature. It resulted from humans making better choices. It is arguably the greatest political and moral achievement of modern civilization. Unfortunately, the fact that it stems from human choice also means that it's reversible. The one exception that I would take to Harari's um, evaluation when he says that the decline in war didn't result from a divine miracle, I'm going to suggest to you that history is in fact unfolding in part based on a sovereign God. But I'm also going to suggest to you that that sovereign God in his sovereignty uses people who are making choices and that some of those choices are good and some of those choices are bad. Some of those choices are peace loving and some of those choices are not peace loving. And of course, Dr. Jim Dennison goes on and he explains, he says, quote, Leonhardt highlights the enormous stakes of the crisis in Ukraine as a bellwether of similar crisis to come. In the face of this looming threat, Harari bases his hope for the future on humans making better choices. And my friend, Dr. Jim Dennison, rightly points out, this is because he's an atheist. He doesn't believe in a God who has concrete ideas about human politics. And then Dr. Jim Dennison rightly says, but you and I know better. We know that the God of the universe makes nations great and he destroys them. He enlarges nations and he leads them away. That's what it says in Job chapter 12, verse 23. By contrast, quote, man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish, Psalm 49, 12. There are people who obviously don't believe that there's a God of the universe who makes nations great, and he destroys them. He enlarges them and leads them away. But this is why, again, we can with confidence and hope believe that there is a God who's in charge of history, prophecy, and eternity. And so again, we continue to pray that the real God, the God of heaven, the God of the Bible, will change hearts bent on war and destruction. And then we ask that God will protect the persecuted from their persecutors. And we also ask that the Lord will redeem the suffering of the innocent. And of course, Dr. Jim Dennison writes, and remember, as Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. reminded us, quote, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice, unquote. 
And that's because the king of the universe is a God of justice. And so he writes, let us claim these familiar words for our broken and unjust world. It's something you're going to know. Maybe you've even sang it. This very well-known song. This is my father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied and earth and heaven be one. Three zero three eight seven three. 1935. That's the number. If you want to join me on the program and, um, it seems to me that there was a story in a headline that, um, there's good reason to believe that Supreme court is going to take up the case of, the lady here in Colorado who um, wouldn't create a website for a gay couple, a homosexual couple. So I'll have more about that later. 303-873-1935. That's the number. If you want to join me on the program. And, um, There's another interesting, interesting poll that I'll try and get to from, I want to say Gallup. It's a Gallup poll, but we'll come back to it. 303-873-1935. And again, I've got open lines if you'd like to join me. What was the other, other breaking story? From, from Joel. Oh, yeah. He basically um, posted this today. He said, and he quotes, Christians, wake up. This is the headline. If the world doesn't stop Putin now in Ukraine, NATO and Israel are next. True. He says, Quote, to misunderstand the nature and threat of evil is to risk being blindsided by it. And he goes on and he says the world was blindsided by World War II and the abject horrors of the Holocaust because it didn't understand the evil nature of Adolf Hitler and his Nazi regime in Berlin. The United States was blindsided by the sneak attack at Pearl Harbor in 1941 because Washington didn't understand the evil nature of the imperial Japanese regime in Tokyo. The world was blindsided by the Iraqi invasion of Kuwait in 1990 because it didn't understand the evil nature of Saddam Hussein in Baghdad. And he says, likewise, the United States was blindsided by 9-11 attacks in 2001 because it didn't understand the evil nature of Osama bin Laden and his Al-Qaeda terror network. Joel makes this statement. He says, the world is being blindsided again 
because it doesn't understand the evil nature of Vladimir Putin in Moscow. He says leaders in Washington, London, Paris, Berlin, Brussels, and beyond seem completely baffled by Putin's lust to attack, crush, and reoccupy Ukraine. And so he says that the West should be bringing Ukraine into NATO. But what's interesting about what Joel is pointing out, if the West should, if we ask and we answer the question, does Ukraine want to be a part of NATO? There seems to be a growing group of people where this issue was deeply divided in the country of Ukraine. But it would seem that Putin's desire to reabsorb Ukraine is making more and more people want wanting them to belong to NATO. Is it even possible? We'll talk about it more. This is Gino Tracy. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. And again, we're talking about Ukraine and um, Russia. But hopefully, just a couple of things. My friends, Jim Dennison and, of course, uh, Joel Rosenberg have posted at their respective places, Jim Dennison at the Dennison Forum and Joel Rosenberg at allisrael.com. And again, I would encourage you, if you get a chance, just go to allisrael.com and uh, look at the headline, Christians wake up if the world doesn't stop Putin now, uh, Ukraine and, and Israel, quote unquote, may be next. Let me tell you why I I think that's kind of an overstatement. Love Joel, love him, love him, love him, good friend. But the difference, um, obviously, is nations that have nuclear capability, I, I suspect that that there are people who are ratcheting it back up, you know, back. Now, remember, Iran is on a course, it's on a crash course to nuclear capability. So what Joel recommends in his article at allisrael.com is to bring Ukraine into NATO, but it's easier said than done because in order to bring Ukraine into NATO, it would require the unanimous consent of the NATO allies. Now, the president strongly said that they were going to defend NATO soil every inch of it. But again, as you can imagine, it would seem that the president of Russia is not impressed with the president of the United States of what he may or may not do. But he um, also said, send massive air shipments to Kiev or Kiev, including Patriot missile batteries. Now, again, for the last 18 months, the United States has sent massive arms shipments to Kiev and Kiev. That's included two and a half billion dollars worth of armaments. Now, some people might say, well, it should have been more. Well, who's paying for all of this? He talks about offering full NATO air support to Ukrainian President Zelensky. But if full NATO air support is offered to Ukrainian President Zelensky, again, Ukraine isn't a part of NATO. Now, again, I'm not suggesting that this may or may not. 
if offering full NATO air support to, to Ukraine does take place, it's going to certainly even the odds against Russia and Ukraine. I heard one person talking a little bit today about comparing Russia and Ukraine is sort of like comparing David and Goliath with Ukraine being David and with Russia being Goliath. But you have to remember in the story of David and Goliath, (laughs) David has five smooth stones and a slingshot. He has great resolve and a deadly weapon that is going to take out the giant. Now, all things being equal, it would appear that it's going to be very, very difficult for the people of Ukraine to absorb a massive Russian invasion. Joel also talked about cutting off the Nordic 2 gas pipeline from Russia. Again, the German government has moved today to shut it down. But what I'm wondering is if what Joel is suggesting by saying cutting off the Nordic 2 gas pipeline from Russia, he means destroying whatever progress has already been made on it. And then he talks about imposing crippling economic sanctions on Moscow. Now, there might be something to be said about having a sanction and then ramping up the sanction. If you impose a draconian crippling economic sanction all at once, is that going to deter Moscow? I don't know the exact um, information I'd like if you know I'd, I'd be happy to if you if you know this information see if you can find it it's my understanding that in the last 48 hours uh Russian currency has been devalued to the tune of about 15%. So I'm wondering again if there could be a looming economic collapse of the Russian currency. And then Joel talks about where are the Christian leaders in the crisis? He says, if that weren't bad enough, where are the Christian leaders? Where's Pope Francis? Where's the Roman Catholic Church? Where are American evangelical leaders? Again, we have to ask and answer the question, what do you mean, where are they? Um, Is this some sort of call for the Roman Catholic Church and for Pope Francis to say, use force to stop Putin, use influence to stop Putin? I mean, traditionally, the Roman Catholic Church and popes in the past have been reluctant to call for all-out war. And is Joel calling for war? Is he calling for military engagement? I know Joel, and I know that he would say that what we have to do, in part, short of war— is to impose all of the necessary restraints that are that we have in place to try to draw down this conflict. And then he says, where are the other Protestant leaders in Europe and around the world? Why aren't they denouncing Putin's flagrant and evil aggression? What I would point out is that the United Nations and every, every single 
head of state in Europe has denounced Putin's flagrant and evil aggression. The only ones who seem to have been somewhat less vocal in the flagrant and evil aggression are those countries that have an affinity towards evil totalitarian government. And so if we look at the Bond villains in the world, like Kim Jong-un in North Korea, if we look at the authoritarian totalitarian government in China and in Venezuela, it makes perfect sense to me um, that that evil Bond villains aren't going to denounce other evil Bond villains. But it seems to me that the majority of the world is in fact denouncing Putin's flagrant and evil aggression. And then Joel says, why are they not calling on the United States President Joe Biden and the rest of NATO to stop Putin now before it's too late? Now, Joel, love you. But what do you mean by that? Why are they not calling on the U.S. President Joe Biden and the rest of NATO to stop Putin? In those words, stop Putin. What does that mean? So are you are you talking about stop him by all means necessary? And so, again, this is complicated. And he says, why are they not doing everything they possibly can to mobilize Christians to pray for and stand for their brothers and sisters in Ukraine? Well, my friends like Franklin Graham are doing exactly that. I'm doing that, asking you to pray and stand. We've talked about prayers and we've talked about church meetings that are already taking place in eastern and western Ukraine. So Joel, I'm hoping I'm hoping that more and more Christians will take your admonition to heart and that there will be a growing army of voices. He asks the question, do western government officials truly not understand what's at stake? I think it's safe to say that maybe they don't. Maybe they don't understand what is truly at stake. But we have to ask a more important question. Do I understand? Do you understand what's at stake? So we'll have a lot to talk about. Hey, thanks for joining me. I'll be back tomorrow. This is Gino Geraci. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Jim.